so bad, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Such an honor, man. Thank you so much for taking time. Man, you, you're doing so, so many amazing things in California and in the world. In 2004, you and your wife gathered with, I believe, seven families in a living room in California. You began to dream of a church. Talk to us about the importance of, of dreaming and talk to us how people, they don't dream anymore what they can become, what a church can become, and, and speak to us about about the importance of dreams. Yeah, I, I personally believe that the only limitation that's on your life is the ones you put on. And often what happens, man, is that the enemy uh, isn't really trying to kill just your life. More importantly, he kills your dream. Nobody has nothing to live for in some sense, as Billy Graham says, if they're no longer dreaming. And so I believe dreaming and, imagine, and imagining is such an intricate part to your future because your soul needs a future. Your soul uh, desires a future. And I really believe that that dreaming is such an intricate part to the sustainability of someone's faith um, and hopes and desires of attaining more in life. Amen. Amen. That's so good. I want her. If you want to get God's attention, you got to have imagination. And so, man, that's so yeah, good. absolutely. At age, at no age, 18, you speak about having a radical encounter with Jesus at a youth camp that uh, you said mm -hmm. you went to because there was going to be pretty girls, and you were mm -hmm. at a lonely hilltop, and you had a real encounter with Jesus. Walk us through what a real encounter with Jesus looks like. Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I, I think, in some degree when especially pastors talk about their experiences of uh, their encounters with Jesus, um, you know, we have to be careful that we don't doctrinalize it and make it that point. I always say that, um, you know, if, if Paul preached that way, then uh, everybody would have to get knocked off a donkey blinded for three days to get saved or something like that. So I really believe everyone's experience is different. I grew up in the church. Um, my father, um, uh, was a third generation pastor, had five kids right away. Dad decided, man, I need to get into business. Uh, I'm going to stay faithful in the house of God. But, you know, if he would have waited his turn uh, with his father's church, he'd have probably waited another 30 years. So my dad got involved in business and, you know, I was raised in a great home, but just made as a teenager some bad choices and landed up. Um, kind of going a different direction and finding myself uh, locked up for six months. And um, I came out on a Monday and my mother uh, paid for me to go to camp on a Friday. Um, and matter of fact, it was around a, it was July 8th, 1989. And, um, and so I just had this encounter with God. And, and I believe that my encounter is as unique as everyone else's. And um, Again, being raised in church, you know, all we did as little kids was play church. So we knew how to be sarcastic and cynical um, and different things like that. And, um, and, and God knew that uh, the kind of uh, the way he wired me, that if um, that, that he needed to touch me that way in order for me to really believe it in some sense. And so um, I had a radical encounter with God and touched me and touched my life. I was at a camp. It was a Friday night, first night of the camp, front row, because the youth pastor put me there. I lifted up my left arm, and I felt like I fell asleep for two hours. And I wake up, and I'm weeping. I'm crying. It was just an incredible uh, deliverance that took place over my life, just a weight 
Um, I was addicted to uh, alcohol and drugs prior to that. And then the six months in prison, you could still find that. Um, so that addiction kept on going. And uh, at one touch, man, every addiction was broken over my life. I uh, felt so free like I never have before and never looked back. And, um, and at the end of the day, um, really built my life from there, realized there was so much more in my life than just the limitations I was placing on it. Amen. Come on, man. That's so good. You yeah. Spoke, uh, before the encounter, your mom was always praying for you. She was always yeah. things as though they are, even when they were not. She yeah. take your uh, music out your radio, used to put worship in there. She, yeah. she put a cross on your bed and she would even call you uh, her preacher. And, yeah. Um, and so you speak highly of your mother. Speak to mm -hmm. us about the importance of speaking into the next generation, how we fall short of speaking into the next generation and, and what you learned from your mom, how to do that. Yeah, I, I think being the only uh, created creatures that God um, created with his hand and not his mouth um, and making sure that we are the image of God, carry that weight of what comes out of our mouth um, can come to pass. And that can't be for a dog and it can't be for a cat, can't be for anything else but a human being. And we don't understand the power of our words. And I know that there's certain camps in the church that kind of you know, in some sense, take it too far. Some parts of the church that don't take it far enough. But there is a healthy medium that, you know, we label people and we, don't, we just not label people. We agree with their dysfunctions when we call them those things. If a child is struggling, you know, and you're, you know, he's telling himself he's stupid and, and the parent's like, yeah, you know, you're acting stupid or you're being stupid. What you're saying is you're coming into agreement with that. And I think what my mother walked in was a fine balance with not denying what was happening, but not agreeing with it. And I think that's a huge factor that parents often make a mistake. And the reality is, is that you got some that deny it and never confront it. And we understand that you can only conquer what you're able to confront. I mean, you can only conquer what you're able to confront. But then there's some that in some degree that they they, they, they see it and they say it. And that's the thing I love about the word of God. You know, people often in some sense don't understand the power of the Bible. The Bible is called the word of God, which means it is God's thoughts. Before it was a word, it was a thought. Just like you and I, we only speak what we think. You cannot, you cannot, something can't come out your mouth, your mouth unless it's first in your mind. And so when you open up the Bible, you are opening up the mind of God. It's God's thoughts towards your situations. And therefore, when he spoke it, or, is, or as it is spoken, it's the word of God. And us preachers and pastors and believers get the opportunity to kind of uh, say what he already said. And so I don't, I don't sit, sit there and go, well, you know, you need to, you know, say this or say that and you know god's going to give you a big house or god's going to give you a nice car no, no 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 you need to just say what he said and that's what my mom would do my mom would just she would say that's my preacher why because god calls those in the bible you know my mother would say you're the righteousness of god even though i was drunk right she was just saying what god had already said so instead of coming in agreement with my dysfunction 
she came into agreement with God's word and promise over my life. And so I believe that's important. And so even like when you're, when, you know, we're, we're watching today what's going on with a lot of protests and a lot of different things like that. I know we'll get into that. But, you know, again, people are labeling and calling rather than seeing what really is taking place. You know, I had a conversation a few days ago with the person that says, man, these young people that are out there, man, they're protesting, you know, they're out of control. And I'm like, well, let's take a step back. And let's let's kind of look at it from a different perspective and 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 look at it from the perspective that they are out there in a hundred degree weather, uncomfortable, um, because they are passionate about a cause or passionate about something. And and regardless of what they're passionate about, just see that they are passionate. And if you can attach something to their life with that kind of passion, we can have the next generation change the world. And that's what my mom always did. She never agreed um, uh, calling me a drug addict. She never, it never came out of her mouth that you're an alcoholic because she had that conviction in her heart that she did not want her words to get in the way of what God has already promised over my life. So I'd walk in four o'clock in the morning from the streets, you know, and she'd say, how's that, how's my preacher doing? Or, you know, she would sit there and know that I'm drunk and she would be like, how's my preacher doing? And it's, again, she wasn't denying the dysfunction. She just wasn't coming into agreement with it because she knew the power of her words. Amen. That's so good. Yeah. One of my favorite sermons you've ever preached is your condition is not your conclusion. Yeah. Thing going on in the world today. Speak to us. Offer us hope. Everybody who's watching, listening on podcasts. Offer us some hope to know that our current condition will not be our conclusion. And what would you speak into our current situation? Yeah. You know, I, I truly believe we are living in an unprecedented time, especially those are, who are in ministry. Um, and um, I really believe that, you know, um, this is an opportunity. And, and what I truly believe what's happening um, is that, you know, God has allowed the walls of the church to be closed because you can't see what's in the fields if you're locked up in a building. And um, and he constantly reminds us that the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. And it's almost as if he had to close the doors to get the church out into the streets and into the communities. Um, because the church, uh, without even knowing it, became so inward. It became all about me, meet my needs. Let me get my worship on. Let me get my praise on. When the truth of the matter is that we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. It activates your purpose when God saves you. God didn't save you because of your past. He saved you because of your future. Uh, he already conquered sin. And the truth is, is that he saves you because he needs you. He needs you out there. He has a plan for you. And you actually had a purpose, according to Jeremiah chapter one, uh, before you ever sinned your first sin. And so he says, while you were in your mother's womb, I formed you, I gave you a name, I made you a prophet to the nations. So your sins did not change God's mind about your purpose and reason why you were born. And so in this unprecedented time that we're living in, it was almost as if God said these beautiful, immaculate buildings and edifices that the church has built, let me kind of shut these doors down so you can't come to the house of God, which forces you to go out into the streets and fulfill his great commission um, so that he can return back for his bride. And 
And so in doing that, I truly believe it is just, we are kind of in a Matthew 24 season right now. I think we're in the birth pains right now. I think this, it's at the end of a brand new beginning. And I truly believe that church will never be the same again. I, I really believe this with all my heart. And I really believe that um, the conventional church will come back. It will be going back to a building, but I still believe that every church needs to have a digital presence um, on a platform and in some sense, know that they're the hands and feet of Jesus and in the communities. And so, so I truly believe this is this condition of which our world is in right now is not our conclusion. Um, it is just an actual beginning of a greater opportunity for the church to visualize um, the, opera, uh, the, the, the field, how, how the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. So we started with COVID and we started with COVID and it kind of shut everything down. Everybody had to, everybody had to go um, into their homes and families in some sense started spending more time together. And then all of a sudden, you really began to see some of the dysfunctions that were already in the home that began to magnify. Church had to pivot. Businesses had to pivot. If you were a restaurant, your business was dependent on somebody walking in the door and the capacity of your seating within that restaurant created a lid on how that business and how far that business can go. What COVID did was that it created other streams. So businesses and restaurants went to curbside and now that some of them are conventional they're inviting others to come in they still have another stream that would have never happened if though if those doors of their business would have never been closed now let's talk about the church at the end of the day everything about the weekend was about coming to church coming to church coming to church um and then god says okay i'm gonna shut the the doors of the church down i'm gonna change what's conventional i'm gonna make it digital but then I'm also going to force you to go out into the communities and feed the poor, help the needy, get, get your hands and feet into the places I desired your life to be in the first place. And so you began to see the expansion of the church. And then once the church got its grips on it and things began to reopen, all of a sudden here comes another onslaught. And this came the racial uh, situation that just kind of, in some sense, peeled a Band-Aid um, off of what we had already put on it. And really what I believe came out of that was that it was God allowing the church to truly see that even though we all meet on Sundays, we are still divided in some sense by um, uh, 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 by our different, uh, by our differences. And I truly believe what God's trying to get to is the fact that it's not that he desires more uh, than the fact that we're multicultural. I think he wants us to celebrate us being multi-ethnic. Let's understand each other's ethnicity. But at the end of the day, I begin to, I feel like the church has made the mistake so long by saying we're a multicultural church. And when we do that, we have to, in some sense, acknowledge some cultures and not acknowledge others and you're kind of pinned in all these different positions depending on what kind of cultures you have in your church but when you're multi-ethnic with one culture and that's a jesus culture then it's easy to celebrate our diversity because it's it's brought together in unity and that unity and that unifier is christ himself i kind of use the metaphor of like a a crock pot you know think of a crock pot 
you know, you, you want to make some stew and you put a, a tomato and you put an onion, you put a carrot, you, could, you put a celery. The beautiful thing about a crock pot that it doesn't demand any of those vegetables to lose their identity to gain the sake of others. What it does is that it actually uh, magnifies that, that identity and that individual identity of that vegetable, but in some sense, it begins to simmer with others to the point that we taste like other ethnicities or other vegetables uh, that were around us. And I believe that's where God wants to take the church. I believe the church needs to become the crock pot where it's more of a unifier that celebrates the diversity of ethnicities rather than saying we celebrate all these cultures. Let's just have one culture, and that's the culture of Jesus uh, unified within our, our ethnicities. Man, that's so good. And I'm getting a little hungry too, my brother. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. I mean, I want to honor your time. I got one more oh, question. One more question absolutely. for you, Pastor. And that's, um, who are your three spiritual mentors? I call them spiritual giants. So who are your three spiritual giants? And real fast, tell us the best lesson that each of them told you. Could be a one-liner. Could have just been a statement. What's one thing that each spiritual giant shared with you that transformed your life, that could transform some of the listeners? Man, that's a tough one, man. Um, well, I would probably say the first one was Billy Graham. He, he wrote a book called Just As I Am that really radically changed my life in um, college when I was in seminary. And um, one of the favorite, my favorite lines in that book that I've kind of built my life on is the fact that you have no right to build your dream unless you help someone else build theirs. And I kind of dedicated my time in college to build other people's dreams, other ministry dreams, knowing that I had a dream in my own life. Um, I would probably say uh, my, 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 my most important hero was my, my mom and dad. Um, they were both heroes in my life. Um, my father taught me the purpose of business. Um, and my mom taught me the purpose of ministry. And I have both today. And, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And then I would probably say, uh, Probably uh, over the last few years, a person that has just been a giant in my life is Pastor Chris um, Hodges at the Church of the Highlands. He's just been a, a remarkable leader in my life. It's really, um, I really identify um, with his mindset when it comes to uh, system structure and strategy. It's kind of just the way I think. And so, um, and I think at the end of the day, um, he's just really taught me, you know, limitless possibilities. Um, that have been instilled within within me as a child. So so I can go on and on, but I've had so many different people inspire my life. Man, that's so awesome. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for sharing just absolute gold with us today. Absolutely, man. Would you pray for us? Would you help, you know, just pray for unity in our nation? Pray just to know that our current condition will not be our conclusion for those listening, those watching on YouTube to be encouraged and inspired to help build other people's dreams, just as you mentioned. 100%. God, I thank you for every person that's watching right now. I, Lord, you made us so unique. God, you love us equally, but you created us uniquely. God, I thank you that your love just is going to overshadow this nation and the world. But while doing that, God, we as the world get to celebrate each other's uniqueness. God, thank you that we're all originals. We don't have to be copycats. 
God, we can truly be who you created us to be. And without us being who we're created to be as an original, then there's a piece of your mosaic that's missing in your final picture. So God, I pray that we will celebrate diversity. We will celebrate ethnicity through the one person of unity who's our creator, God himself, and through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our lives. So we love you, we bless you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank amen. you so much for spending time with us. Absolutely. Anytime, man. It was such a joy.